hating sin. And uh, we begin our first message using the passage in Proverbs where it talks about things that God hates. And you have to understand that all of those things are sin related. And the reason God hates those six things, yea, it said even seven, that are ones that are testable to it, it is because of their connection with sin and the effect that sin has on our relationship with God and our, the effect sin has on our relationship with one another. And this is the reason God hates sin, because it severs the relationship we have with God. But not only with God, it severs the relationship we have with one another. And God created us to interact with one another, to connect with one another, to be encouragers to one another, to be mentors to one another. We're a family. This is what God had in mind, but sin destroys the family. Now, I want to bring a message this week on the enormity of sin. Because generally speaking, we don't think about sin from that perspective. This word is often confused with enormousness, largeness. Webster says that these words are both uh, can both mean very large size. Enormity is always used in the figurative sense to indicate something offensive, an atrocity. Enormous is usually referring to the size of something. Today I want to talk about the enormity of sin, the outrageously offensiveness, the hideousness, the atrocity, the act of rebellion against Almighty God is an act of atrocity. And we don't, we don't think of it like that. You know, we, I mean, there's big sins, there's little sins, right? And yet, the little sin has the same effect with our relationship with God as the big sin. And going back to what was said for our meditation here this morning, if it was not for the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the understanding of God, even those little sins would keep us totally separated from God. But God has made a plan. He has made a means by which we can live in relationship with him in spite of the fact there's still some sin in our life. Even when we try the hardest not to sin, we still fail, don't we? Our goal is to be perfect as God is perfect, yet we, we don't measure up. We don't meet the criteria. But his grace, it, that's what becomes sufficient. The Apostle Paul says that the law is a curse on us. Now, when Jesus came, we have this attitude that Jesus did away with the law. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He did away with the effect of the law. The law condemned us because you were going to be a sinner because nobody could keep the law perfect, could they? Except Jesus. <clears throat> we all have broken the law. 
Now, some of the things in the law we can keep, but not all the things of the law. And it says if we violate one, we're guilty of all. So how does it work? <coughs> Jesus covers the things that we can't do, the failures that we have in relationship with the law. He becomes our grace, our covering of that sin. It's the way Peter presents it is he says he's a propitiation. Now, for a long time, I didn't have a clue what that word meant. If you'll go study that word a little bit, it's like here is something on this podium. And when I put this paper down, I cover it. And while I know what's under it, you might walk up there and look and see nothing but this paper. You don't see what the paper is covering. Peter says Jesus became a covering for our sins. God sees it. God knows it's there. But he's satisfied with the blood of Jesus being a covering for <clears> your <throat> sins and my sins. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? That covers what we cannot do, not what we refuse to try to do better, you know, to try to overcome. It covers our failures, our weaknesses, our imperfections. How many of us are really striving for perfection in Christ? Really wanting to be Christ-like. Really wanting to fulfill the will of God in our lives. I think most of us aspire to that. But every one of us fail, do we not? And he's a propitiation. See, he's a covering for what we fail and trying to do, but just do not attain to it. So today I want to talk to you about the enormity of sin so that we become more sensitive to this challenge of living above sin, being ever conscious of sin, and trying to teach the importance of being people who want to rise above, not participate in. The seriousness of sinning is why I have chosen to speak for the past two weeks on the subject, why God hates sin. And we've spoken on the reality of sin. We've also spoken on how to identify sin. I want to remind you that <coughs> sin is rebelling against God. That's basically what sin's all about, rebelling against God. You don't have to memorize all of the commandments you just got to get your heart right. You've got to want to know what God's will is for you and be desirous of trying to apply God's will to your life. It's in that mentality that Jesus can become that propitiation, that covering for your sin. Sin is a rebelling against God. You see, sin is anarchy. Someone must occupy the throne. And it's going to be God in your mind and heart, or it's going to be you. When you push God off the throne and you want to sit on it, you want to make the decisions, and you're in control, that's how. We're supposed to be in, submiss in submission to. We're to have a submissive nature about us. Why? Because we believe that God is God. We believe that God sent Jesus and made a better way. 
And with the sending of Jesus, we believe that he empowered those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He empowered them to rise above, to live above that old sinful life that we were stuck in. I want you to consider the heinousness of sinful acts. Let me just give you a simple illustration. Let's talk about an abusive husband. Not in any depth or detail, but let's, most all of us know somebody that's had an abusive husband. Maybe have been in an abusive relationship. You know, when you have that kind of aggression, that kind of a breakdown in a relationship, there are so many demands, there are so many expectations, that there's so much threatening, that there's just so much that breaks down a relationship, a connection. Many times, the most beautiful thing that God has given in a marital relationship is the intimacy between a man and a woman. <coughs> Have you ever stopped to consider how many times that beautiful intimacy of sex literally becomes rape, forced, demanded, expected, a right? That's sinful. That's one of the most insulting sins that can be committed on somebody. And yet so many people go through the motions and do these things and they don't even think about that they've sinned not just against their spouse, they sinned against God. Now, how does that sin affect that home? Well, oftentimes it ends up in children not being loved, not being appreciated, not being given any value, being neglected. Oftentimes it ends up in a home that breaks down and there's not financial stability in it. There's no security there. There's neglect to take care of the basic needs. That's sinfulness. All of that is sinfulness. <coughs> we see it all around us, do we not? Now, these things, when you really think about it, they're hideous. Terrible, atrocious atmosphere of rebellion against the one that sits on the throne and says that, husband, you're to love your wife like Christ loves the church. Huh? The things we were talking about, how far from that statement from God's word is their lifestyle? Well, far enough, I think, to be considered heinous. Let's, let's look at the lesser sin that's involved in this kind of a relationship. Let's talk about the children. I mean, they're victims. But do we ever consider how the sin spills over and begins to depreciate and ultimately maybe destroy the life of an innocent child? How many children do you know and do I know whose lives are endangered in jeopardy, whose lives will probably never amount. Many times we use this expression, it's going to be a repeat of another generation of the same old, same old. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. You know? Yeah. We've come to just say that's the expected. And that's all the result of sin, of child being neglected, being abandoned. Sometimes 
even being abused physically. Now again, I want to tell you, sin is heinous. Sin has enormity of which we hardly pay any attention. God says sin is terrible, awful, unacceptable. And that's the reason it is damnable. Damnable. When we talk about these relationships right here on the, you know, on the home front that the, the very foundation of a nation you end up when a man is not fulfilling his responsibility to his family you end up with a lonely woman sometimes an unappreciated wife a wife that becomes not so much a wife but just a woman that sees herself as deserving better she begins to look for better. She's an angry woman. She becomes an aggressive woman. She becomes a mean woman. There's a depreciation all because of what? One person's sinful lack of a responsibility in a marriage covenant. Can we not see how Satan uses every act of our rebelliousness to multiply sinfulness. Now, I, I, I'm giving it an illustration of something that probably doesn't apply to most of you. But at the same time, it's an illustration that all of you can connect with because you know somebody that is being negligent <coughs> to their family. The Bible teaches us that we have broken homes, hungry and hurting children. We have killings and rapes and wars and hatreds and sorrows and heartaches. And, and all of it is because of sin. Every act started with rebelliousness, with anarchy against God in somebody's life. Many times... They didn't have a clue that it was going to spill over into anybody else's life. In fact, most of the time they have this attitude, it's nobody's business but mine. It's my life. That's one of the most deceptive statements. It's not my life affecting nobody else. God made it my life to affect other people. And it's going to affect other people for good or for bad. It's going to affect other people. And God says, I'm willing to help you, George Peavy, to let your life affect other people for good. I want to use you as a rebellious sinner. Even God cannot use us. Paul said in Romans the seventh chapter that the commands and expectations of God are not bad. Although he said that the law becomes a curse to us because we can't keep it. It's the rebellious sinfulness in me that is bad. 
and the terrible consequence of sin in me and the effect it has on others that is bad. It assures all of us how exceedingly, and this is the way Paul expresses it, how exceedingly, it's almost like he's at a loss for a word to get across the thought he wants to convey him. He says all of it shows and demonstrates the exceeding sinfulness of sin. That's graphic, isn't it? The exceeding sinfulness of sin. How bad is sin? It's really hard to describe. But when we look around us and we see the effect that it's having on many people's lives, then we too, like Paul, ought to say there is an exceeding sinfulness about sin itself. Don't take sin lightly. That's what I'm trying to say to you in these messages. Don't take sin lightly. Even a little sin in your life, don't take it lightly. Let's be a people that want to be holy. A people that really want to consider our priestly nature. God has called us to be spiritually mentors to other people, all of us. Let's take it serious and let's try to rise up and be men of God, women of God, young people of God, truly the children of God. He's got no other children in this world but us, his children. And we must rise to the occasion and become all that he has expected of us. There are two things in the scriptures that should help us better understand the enormity of sin. The first one is the punishment of sin. Usually you think about behavior and consequence for behavior. And, you know, little insignificant acts of disobedience, you know, all right, so you didn't pick up your socks and you didn't put your shoes back, you didn't, you know, you didn't clean your room up. And, but that's surely not deserving of being grounded for a month, is it? Hardly for the weekend. But you know, parents have to make their mind up how, you know, what's the extent of disobedience here and, and the consequences of it. What is worthy of the offense? When we think about the punishment of sin, it surely tells us how God feels about sin and, and how he wants us to feel about sin. This is what the great judge of the universe will say against the unredeemed sinner in Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning at the 41st verse. Listen to this. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Now, why are they cursed? Because they didn't do the things that God's word taught them to do. Now, they couldn't do all of it anyway, but there was a provision for them, but they didn't, they didn't get covered. You know, like the paper, we covered that they weren't covered. Into the eternal fire, he says, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. What a simple thing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. 
But you know, none of these things really seem to be all that really bad, do they? When's the last time you visited somebody in jail? surprise us one day when we stand before the judge of the universe and he says George you missed it you misunderstood you focused on the wrong thing he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels of the Lamb and the 
smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Life, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. My brethren, it's time for God's people to stop claiming a grace that they don't possess. It's time for God's people to stop sitting on the premises and trying to rest on the promises. We've got to get up and go with the gospel or we're disappointing God. We're not saved by our works. We can never do enough works. But I want to tell you one thing. If you haven't got any, when you get there, you're going to get disappointed. You see, the works come by the grace of God in your life. We do the things we do for the glory of God by the grace that God gives us to do it. The severity of punishment should always equal the severity of the offense. And when we're not preaching the gospel with our lives daily, we are disappointing God. Punishment for sin should help us understand the enormity of sin. And there is one other thing in Scripture that should help us understand the enormity of sin, and that's the sacrifice for sin. In Isaiah, the 58th chapter, beginning at the 4th verse, through the 7th. Surely he took up our infirmity and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearer, the silence of he did not open. He did it for you and me, so we have the opportunity to do something for him. It's a choice. It's volunteer. God doesn't make us do anything, but he empowers us to do everything. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5th chapter, the 21st verse, and he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he said to the Galatians in the third chapter, the 13th verse, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Think about what Jesus suffered on Calvary. 
to pay for our redemption, those illegal trials where he was spit upon, he was slapped, he was insulted, he was humiliated, he was unmercifully treated and unmercifully beaten. Crowns of thorns were pushed out upon his brow, piercing into his skin, scalp. Nails were driven in his body. Spear was thrust into his side. <coughs> and he cries out so desperately, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what Jesus was saying there? Father, I've never sinned. Father, I've never broken your rules. I've never insulted you with disobedience. I've never tried to push you off the throne. I've honored you for these 33 years and given glory to you. Why? Why? And maybe he heard from heaven, from God the Father. Why, Jesus, rejoice? For all those that will believe on me because of what you're doing, that's why. I want us to so appreciate what Jesus has done for us. I want us to so appreciate what God has provided for us and in forgiveness and empowerment to live for Jesus that we will really have a revival in our hearts and souls and want to live above sin and rooted and grounded in the will of God. I want to close with an illustration that I found that's old, but it's priceless, and it's almost unbelievable. <coughs> the writer says one of the most damnable things about sin is that it develops. And he talks about how sin starts small, and it grows in our life, and one sin begets another sin, begets another sin, begets another sin. That's what he means when he says it develops. Goes on to say a Florida newspaper, this was back in the 1950s, carried the story of a young woman's terrible escape from a most unusual death. While she was surf bathing on the beach, swimming in the water, she caught sight of what appeared to be a pearl floating upon the water. Quickly, she apprehended it and placed it in her mouth for safekeeping while she swam for shore. A huge wave struck her in the face, and accidentally she swallowed the pearl. Little more was thought of the incident until a few weeks later when she grew violently ill, and day by day she became weaker. A surgeon was called in and performed an exploratory surgery. The incision revealed that the pearl which she had swallowed was not a pearl at all, but rather it was an octopus egg. <laughs> yeah. The warmth of the girl's body had caused the egg to hatch and the basic octopus was feeding off her life blood. Isn't that just like sin? 
it appears to be beautiful and intensely worthful until it is taken into our bodies and warmed with our spirits. Sin then develops and begins to feed upon our very lifeblood until it ultimately destroys us. Don't pay the fearful price of losing your strength and losing your very soul, endangering yourself <coughs> to false jewels of this world. To take them in our life is to discover what we thought was a pearl to be the devil's own trickery and the octopus of sin that will eat and destroy our relationship with God. Now that sounds like a way out story. I don't know, but that makes a good illustration, doesn't it? Because sin does do that. Sin gets at us and it begins to zap us of our strength. It begins to zap us of our enthusiasm. It begins to zap us of our direction. Next thing we know, our GPS of how to get through this world is deceiving us. The battery's gone down, it's flickering, it's not right, it's giving misdirection. When we start trying to find our own self, I bet most of your life, if you can't stand to be lost, sometimes you realize you don't know where you are, you stop and you ask somebody, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's his favorite question when I'm lost? Why don't you stop and ask somebody? I'll find a move find your way. And you know, going through life, many times, we're like that. We know it's not the way it's supposed to be. We'll find our way. We don't go to the Word of God. We don't go for the roadmap of life. The devil is weak. He's trying to divert us and get us to be lost as lost can be. He's trying to get us to destroy our very own lives will we listen to the Lord will we let him stay on his throne and let him speak to us with authority in the moment of sin it's not just affecting you it's going to affect people around you that you love give attention Song says there's room at the cross for you. I'm glad I found my place at the foot of the cross. It changed my life. And I promise you, if you haven't found your place at the foot of the cross, you need to go there and let Jesus become your Lord and your Savior. Let his death on the cross really mean something. Father, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> You know, on this side of the cross, I think Jesus, every time someone comes to the foot of the cross, just gives more praise and glory to his Father. It's working, Father. It's working. Another sinner saved. Have you found your place at the foot of the cross? There's no other way to be saved but to come and give your heart and your life to Jesus. He says, if you'll believe in me, You'll confess me before men. I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you won't do it, if you deny me, I'll deny you before my Father. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, 
invite you to do that. This church wants you to do that. That's what makes you become a part of us. And we'd love to have that happen. Let's stand together and listen.